second chapter of the book of Romans, the Holy Spirit has been speaking of the great principles that underlie the divine judgment. And it is the moralist that has been brought under the scrutiny of the gaze of holy God and found wanting. Now at this point, the subject changes from judgment against ethical men to judgment against religious men. There are those in this world who are attached to form and ceremony, liturgy, religious precepts and practices, attitudes that go with such attachments, and yet they are aliens to the grace of God. They have ritual without redemption. They have works without worship and a form of service without the fear of God in its proper sense. And thus, they come under the condemnation of God. doesn't make any difference what name these people go by. The principle remains the same. In the day when the New Testament was written, the argument was against the religious Jew. Today it would be against the zealous Roman Catholic or the fervent fundamentalist or the reformed evangelical, just as much as it was the Jew in Paul's day. As one commentator has put it, verses 17 through 24 of Romans chapter 2 is the charge against the orthodox, those who have a intellectual knowledge of the gospel but who are not obeying it. Those who know what the Bible says, but it does not affect their lives, does not change them. The profession of religion, even though it be divinely revealed religion, is not enough if the one who professes it is not in some sense changed by it. It is not, have you heard the gospel? It is not, have you been baptized? It is not, are you a member of the church? It is not even, are you attending church? It is, has that changed your life? Has it given you a sense, a new sense of direction? Has it caused you to want to be obedient to the law of God? If it has not, then these words are for you. The reality of possession is ten times more important than the formality of profession. Probably the religious person is the most difficult person on earth to reach with the gospel. There are none too bad for Jesus Christ to save, but there are millions who think that they are too good. And it is with these people that Paul is concerned in Romans chapter 2. This section has to do with the hypocrite, the man who thinks that his religion precludes the necessity of the gospel. He may be a Jew or a Gentile. He may be a Baptist, a Methodist, a Pentecostal, a Presbyterian, or a non-denominationalist. In our text, Paul is focusing mainly on the law. Look at verse 17, 18, 20, and twice in verse 23. He is applying the point of verse 13. Look back at verse 13 where he says, It is not the hearers of the law who are just before God, but it is the doers of the law who will be justified. The Jews will not escape God's righteous judgment 
because they were Jews and possessed the law, they had to obey the law. Just having it wasn't enough. They thought it was. There are many people in America today who think because they have heard the gospel, because they have heard biblical preaching, because they own a Bible, that that will cause them to escape the judgment of God. No, no, no. It will not. It has to change your life. You have to be seeking after the glory of God. So what Paul does here is exposes their hypocrisy and shows the spiritual devastation of hypocrisy. Now the thing about hypocrisy, what makes it so dangerous is that it is so subtle. No one sees themselves as a hypocrite. And no one gets into hypocrisy deliberately by thinking, you know, I'd like to bring down the judgment of God on myself by being a hypocrite. That sounds like the way to go. That's not what happens. Instead, due to pride, people think, well, I, I, you know, I want people to respect me. And if they knew I was a sinner, they wouldn't respect me. So I'm not, you know, I'm going to, not going to admit that I'm a sinner. I, I, I can't do that because then I would lose the respect, the respect of people. So the hypocrite tries to impress others, forgetting that God knows his heart, that God knows what is in his heart. And he ends up deceiving himself in the worst way. Hypocrisy is, first of all, just that. It is a deceptive sin. Listen to James 1.22. It states the principle. But prove yourself doers of the word and not merely hearers who delude themselves. The Jews that Paul confronts felt secure before God because of their religious heritage as Jews. They had God's law. They could confidently teach it to others. And they were deluded because they believed possessing the law was enough. Not doing it. Look at, look at verse 17. But if you call yourself a Jew and rely on the law and boast in God. Verse 17 is simply a restatement of the three pillars of ancient Judaism. Monotheism, there is one God. Election, they were the people of God. And Torah, the law. Those were the three pillars of Judaism. This week I spent some time reading in some uh, apocryphal text like uh, the Wisdom of Solomon in the book of Baruch. And if you read those uh, texts, you realize what the thinking of the first century Jew was because in many, many places they say that because they have the law, they are pure and without evil and without sin. Because they are the elect of God, then God will not judge them. God will not bring them under judgment because they are His chosen people. And because uh, they had the law, that was enough. The law precluded them from ever knowing about judgment. Uh, and they believed that. So it is the task of the Apostle Paul here to convince them that those three things, though wonderful, 
and our great advantages, and he will, he will say that later on, yet that did not mean that they were safe from judgment and condemnation. Uh, if, if we're honest, and we read Paul's indictment of the Jew here, we have to include ourselves in it because all of us are prone to hypocrisy. We all easily fall into the trap of trying to impress other people uh, about how spiritual we are when our hearts may be far from God. So we need to apply these verses very carefully to our own hearts. Paul shows several ways that people are deceived. He first hits the Jew for his pride in his birth as a Jew. He's going to do this again down in verse 28 and 29. When Jesus confronted the Jews with being slaves to sin, uh, in John chapter 8, do you remember what they said? They said, uh, we are the children of Abraham. We've never been enslaved to anyone. What a ridiculous crock. They were, they were slaves in Egypt for 400 years. The northern kingdom was carried away by the Assyrians in 722, made slaves. The southern, the southern kingdom carried away in 586 by the Babylonians and made slaves. They were vassals in a state that they were practically slaves in the Roman Empire. And yet they said, oh, we're the children of Abraham. We've never been slaves to anyone. How absurd, how self-deceived that they were. They knew that they were God's elect, and that was a great thing, but they grossly misapplied it. Moses had told them in the book of Deuteronomy, you are a holy people to the Lord your God. The Lord has chosen you to be a people for his possession out of all the peoples of the earth. But they got puffed up with pride and thought that God chose them because they deserved it. A little later on, Moses will say, He didn't choose you because you were the best. He didn't choose you because you were the brightest. He chose you because He chose you. There is no other reason. It was God's own faithfulness to His covenant that caused Him to choose the Jews. And just as God has chosen the Jews to be His people, He chooses us to believe in God and to be His people. But He did not choose us because He saw anything of merit in us. And that would include our faith. Rather, He chose us to show His unmerited favor, His grace, so that we might glorify Him. So if you boast about being one of the elect and fail to see that it is all of grace, and you're not boasting on God, but rather boasting because you've done something someone else didn't do. You've missed the whole point of election. Number two, he says, of the Jew, you rely on the law. It's interesting to observe that all of the things that Paul says in verses 17 through 20 are good in and of themselves. There were advantages to being a Jew. Romans chapter 3, verses 1 and 2. Chapter 9, verses 4 and 5 Lay some of those out. It is good to rely on God's law if you truly obey it. It is good to know His will. It is good to be morally discerning. The problem was the Jews relied on the fact that they had received God's law. 
as if it would magically protect them though they didn't obey it. I had a, I had a lady tell me one time that, that her Bible was very precious to her. And I said, well, that's, that's great. That's wonderful. And she showed me her Bible, and she said she had had it for about 10 years. It looked like it had just come out of the box. And she said to me, you know, the other night I had a toothache. And I, I just took my Bible and laid it under my, my jaw there, and my toothache went away. And I thought, okay. So I said to her, so that, what, what, what was that? It was righteousness by osmosis? It just seeped through? I said, you know, ma'am, your Bible is not going to do you any good unless you read the Bible. And more than that, you have to obey it. Just having a Bible doesn't do you any good at all. She left the church, this church, and she never came back because she didn't want to hear that. The Jews in Paul's day, they didn't want to hear that. A hypocrite is one who takes only a general, theoretical, intellectual interest in the truth. That's the first characteristic of the hypocrite and the one that explains everything else. That was the position of the Jews. They were tremendously interested in the law, but Paul's whole case against them was that they saw it as just intellectual, theoretical. They, uh, they, they looked at it in an abstract manner. They, they liked nothing better than to argue about the law. And they, they'd spend hours arguing with one another about the meaning of this particular point of the law than that. Nothing gave them greater pleasure than that. They had been taught the law, and they, they could uh, dispute about it. In exactly the same way, there are people today that, that love the theoretical, the intellectual, the abstract sense of the gospel. I think that's one of the great dangers in Reformed theology. I have met many people who come to a sense of Reformed theology, and they want to convert everybody to Reformed theology rather than to Jesus. And they fail to see grace in those who do not agree with them. Uh, and they're always arguing about some obscure point of theology. Self-deluded, hypocritical. Of course, the Jews did obey some of the external requirements of the law. They tithed their garden herbs, for instance. But they didn't think anything about mercy. They didn't think anything about helping their neighbors, that, that was not important to them. Uh, Jesus, you remember, rebuked them that they honored God with their mouths, but their actions were far from honoring Him. They knew God's commandments, but they just kept those that could be seen by men, those that would make them appear to be spiritual. Uh, they didn't seek to please God from the heart. Hypocrisy is all about maintaining outward appearances. You know, you know, making your face look all white and pasty when you fast so everybody will know you're fasting. So that people can say, oh, oh, how spiritual you are. Look at you, you're fasting. You know, you make sure you tell everyone at work, oh, you know, I've not eaten in 14 days because I'm fasting. Fasting is a good thing. Nobody would ever believe that I did it. So, you know, I don't think I got a problem with that. It's with everything else that I have the problem. Then Paul says they boast in God. And again, that's a good thing in of itself. 
The Bible speaks in numerous places about boasting about God, about His goodness and His mercy and His grace. But they were not boasting about God. They were boasting in order to give themselves all of the glory for His salvation. Paul's Jewish readers were boasting in the sense that they were elevating themselves above, above the pagans around them because they knew God and the pagans did not. And so that made them so far superior to others. It, it, it was a, a form of spiritual pride. We know the only true God. You don't. We're better than you are. You know, it, it's always important to keep in mind that the worst sinner on earth right now, what separates him from God and what separates you from him is nothing more than God's grace. If it were not for the grace of God, you would be in exactly the same position. It is only God's grace that separates us from the worst sinners on earth. Only God's grace, nothing else. Then he says they were unconcerned about pride. That's a general characteristic that is uh, always seen in the hypocrite. Self-satisfied, always pleased with himself, never conscious of any deficiency. There is no humility in the hypocrite. Notice how Paul brings it about. He said, you call yourself a Jew, you rely on the law. But he relies on the law in the wrong way. He thinks that because he has possession of it, that's enough. He doesn't have to actually obey it. The hypocrite is on wonderful terms with himself. He boasts about what a godly person he is, a worshiper of God, not like those heathen. You remember our Lord's account of it when he talks about a Pharisee and a publican, a tax collector that went to the temple to pray. And the Pharisee boasted about all of his goodness. I tithe of all of my possessions. Lord, I, I thank you that I'm not like this publican over here. I'm so much better than he is. Ah, the publican would not even lift his eyes to heaven but said, Lord, be merciful to me, the sinner. In a like manner, you find people like that today. I remember going to a church some years ago. Uh, I, I would go uh, to some of their Bible studies. They were a non-denominational church in Knoxville. Excellent Bible studies. Just It was wonderful. Their, their pastor was a great teacher. But the people there, once they found out I was a Southern Baptist, they wanted to pat me on the head. You know, patronize me. Oh, you're a Southern Baptist. Bless your little heart. Well, you know, we're non-denominational. We don't mess with denominations. Well, three cheers and a locomotive for your side. They were what I would call spiritually arrogant, which is an oxymoron. You can't be spiritual and be arrogant. It doesn't work. Because arrogance is the very antithesis of spirituality. If it's the Holy Spirit, that is. The Holy Spirit brings about humility. The Holy Spirit brings about a humble sense of others are better than I am. Not I'm better than everyone else. Paul uses, notice the word sure in verse 19. You are sure that you yourselves are a guide to the blind, a light to those in darkness. Why, this man is absolutely complete. He never knows any nervousness. 
He is the very antithesis of Paul who said that he came in weakness and fear and much trembling. No, no, this guy, he bounds into the pulpit absolutely certain that he knows more than anyone else. He is sure of all of it. He knows nothing about the fear of the Lord. He has no, he has no qualms about his own lack of ability. He doesn't have to pray and seek the Lord and beg for his anointing to be upon him. He knows just as he is. That's always true of hypocrites. Hypocrites always have a complete absence of humility, a complacency, confidence, a boastfulness. The godly man is never a showman. I wish that I could say that I had not met men like this in the ministry, but I have. All through my ministry, I've met, you know, and they all look the same. You know, you meet a guy, you know, he smiles, he's got 400 teeth in his mouth, and, and the glare off of him will knock you down. And, and he's immaculately, impeccably dressed, and everything is perfect, and he's really too good to speak to anyone unless they're the right kind. No humility. A complacency. We've all, known, we've all known people like that. Unfortunately, we've known some of them in the church. Then Paul says in verse 21, he's guilty of spiritual insincerity. He teaches and preaches to others, but does not preach to himself. A preacher who does not preach his sermons to himself before he preaches them to anybody else is worthless. <laughs> He, everything that he does is going to be vain and useless. The hypocrite never applies the truth of Scripture to himself. He can apply it to others, but never, ever, ever to himself. He doesn't need it. It's what everybody else needs. He's guilty of spiritual insensitivity in verses 21 through 23. He's actually guilty of doing the very things that he tells other people not to do. He preaches do not steal and he steals. He preaches do not commit adultery and he commits adultery. And remember our Lord's exposition of what constitutes adultery in the Sermon on the Mount. Lust in the heart constitutes adultery. Paul's first two examples are easy enough to understand. The third one is not. When he says, you who abhor idols, do you rob temples? No one knows exactly what that means. It, it doesn't mean sacrilege, as one translation puts it. Uh, whatever it does mean, it's a spiritual tragedy. What it implies clearly is that they are going into pagan temples and taking the gold and silver statues and selling them for money. There's not any evidence that that was going on in secular history, but apparently it was a problem because the Holy Spirit inspires Paul to put it into the text here. Uh, in Acts chapter 19, the town clerk who questioned the Ephesian riot said that, the, that Paul and his men, remember, were neither robbers of temples nor blasphemers of our goddess. So the problem was apparently more widespread than was known. They were people who went into pagan temples, stole the idols, and sold them. They abhorred idols, but they were willing to profit from them, you see. 
whatever is meant, the principle here is important for us. And the principle is these men in practice are guilty of the very things that they denounce in others. And that's always characteristic of the hypocrite. He never sees his own sins. So hypocrisy is deceptive. But secondly, hypocrisy dishonors God. Verse 23 may be a rhetorical question or read as a statement. You who boast in the law, through your breaking the law, you dishonor God. That's the root sin of all sin. To dishonor or fail to glorify God. That's what Paul is going to uh, say at the end of this section, you remember. For all have sinned, and what? Come short of the glory of God. Of God, in Romans 1:21, the the Jews would have cheered Paul uh, as he indicted the Gentiles because they did not honor God, because they were not grateful. But now Paul brings the same charge against the Jews. God chose Israel to be a glory to Him, and by their disobedience, they have failed to give glory to God. They have disobeyed Him, and we and they have not given Him glory. In the same way, God chose us to the praise of His glory. But if we disobey His word, we dishonor Him. Sometimes, living in obedience to God's word as is presented as the path to blessing. If we obey God's word by loving our wives as Christ loved the church, if we consistently showed the kindness and the grace of God toward our children, we would be blessed with happy families. God knows what is best for us, and obedience to the Word brings blessing. Disobedience always brings pain and trouble. But the main reason that we should want to obey God is not for the blessing, but rather to honor Him, to glorify Him. Our main, the main point of obedience should not be that we're seeking the blessing from God, but we're seeking His honor and His glory. In, in the, the, the giving of, of offerings to the church, we do that primarily because it is a way that we can honor God. We give glory to Him by giving back a portion of what He has blessed us with. The blessing that we receive from it, that's fine, but that's not ultimately the reason that we give, or primarily the reason that we give. The main reason that we should not want to disobey God is because His name is dishonored. He is infinitely worthy of all glory and praise. So we should fear the sin of hypocrisy. We should fear putting a thin veneer of godliness over disobedient hearts because we are afraid that we will dishonor our God. And finally in verse 24 he says that hypocrisy damages our testimony. He's quoting Isaiah chapter 52 and verse 5 where because of Israel's sin the nation had been destroyed. The people had been taken into captivity and it had caused the nations to mock God. God chose them but He wasn't able to keep them. Now they've been taken to captivity. Uh, the real cause of their captivity was not God's inability to rescue them but their disobedience, and it made God look bad. And that's a bad thing. The point is, if we tell others that we're Christians, but we're living in disobedience, then we cause others to mock the Christian faith. 
Well, there's so-and-so. He says he's a Christian, but look how he lives. I don't want any part of that. That is not a good thing. If a professing Christian is dishonest in business or immoral in his personal life, abusive toward his family, then the world concludes, what kind of God does he follow? What kind of God is that? And while God is sovereign in bringing his elect into the fold, humanly speaking, a sinning Christian keeps a needy sinner from the only good news that can save him. I told you a few weeks ago, we should all try to live our lives in such a way that we are not an alibi for someone else coming to Christ. I don't, I don't ever want to be someone's alibi for not believing on Jesus. I would have been a Christian except Pastor Kerr did so and so. The best that we can do sometimes we're going to fail. But that ought to be our goal, to walk in humility, to walk in light and obedience so that God is honored and glorified in all that we say and do. <clears throat> Since deception is always a tricky thing, how can we overcome the deception of hypocrisy? There are no slick formulas, I don't think, but let me give you a few suggestions. Number one, fight daily to maintain reality with God on a heart level. Meet with Him in the Word and prayer. Not just to check it off that I've done my quiet time, but to honestly seek the Lord. Ask Him to convict you of your sin and your disobedience as you read His Word and show you where you are coming up short. Confess your sins and your struggles. Seek His strength. And be aware that he examines the heart. Secondly, cultivate honesty and humility toward others. Don't try to impress people with your godliness. Uh, let them know that you are weak, but that God is strong. And then finally, when you read and meditate on the Bible, aim at making the application personal. Ask the questions. So what? How am I supposed to live in the light of this text? When you read a text from the Scripture, ask the question, what am I supposed to do? How do I apply this? All of us struggle with specific sins. Some that I struggle with, you do not. But all of us struggle with specific sins. Maybe it's anger. Maybe it's lust. Maybe it's greed. Know that. Be aware of it. Memorize relevant verses and apply them to yourself, not just to others. Don't let the sin of hypocrisy deceive you. Don't let the sin of hypocrisy damage unbelievers. And most of all, do not let the sin of hypocrisy bring dishonor to our glorious God. Let's pray. Heavenly Father.